Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. It's seven minutes after the hour. Our favorite economist is on board. Professor Emeritus at Ramapo College, Professor Murray Sabrin, who's got a Substack column that I always read. Uh, and I get emails from him. If you subscribe, you get uh, updates. And uh, he is back with us. Happy New Year, Professor. Welcome. Well, Happy New Year to you, Gary. It's um, it's great to be with you in 2024, which we know is going to be the silly year. Hopefully, it'll be more silly than dangerous because with everything going on in the world and uh, the domestic situation, uh, this could be the most chaotic year since 1968 when we had the, uh, the two assassinations of Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy Jr. Johnson was drawn from the race and uh, the chaos of the Democratic Convention in Chicago in August uh, in 1968. And, and, of course, that was the peak of the Vietnam War with 500,000 troops in Vietnam. So uh, hopefully we will have a much more sedate uh, presidential election year than we had in 68. But the way things are unfolding with the uh, with the attempt to uh, keep the Trump off the ballot uh, just shows you how shaky the American uh, political situation is. Do you find yourself... Uh, and uh, let me just uh, point, let me just tell you where I'm at. I don't like Donald Trump. I don't want him to be the next president. But the more they attack him, the more there's a part of me that wants him to win. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's, I, 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 yeah. I was never a fan of Trump, uh, especially when he uh, started his uh, campaign for the presidency in 2015, bashing immigrants, and uh, which is ironic since um, his grandparents, I guess, were immigrants from Germany. And he could have said something that would have really made a, an impact, saying, listen, we are a nation of immigrants. My family uh, came here uh, several, uh, several generations ago, and we made a life for ourselves. And we want people coming to America to make a life for ourselves, but following the rules that we have in place so we have an orderly immigration process. If he said that, and, and then he could have said, if, uh, everyone should be vetted uh, like my family was, and uh, make sure that criminals don't come to the country so they don't do uh, any of their uh, misdeeds here will be a much better and stronger country. If he had said that, I think he would have gotten a lot more respect from uh, the mainstream media and from the political class. Instead, he engaged in, I think, over-the-top rhetoric, which really turned me off right away as an immigrant, um, and um, whose father was vetted in West Germany when we came here in 1949. I, I just found that just so insulting that... Um, uh, I, I just never was a supporter. I didn't vote for him. And um, if he gets the nomination this year, uh, I don't know what I'd be doing here in Florida since he should win Florida very easily anyway. Well, I'm uh, the the big threat is, uh, and we've been talking about this all morning, uh, the real big threat to the country is the debt we just crossed the $34 trillion oh, yeah. level. Yeah. Uh, and nobody that's running for president is saying, we're going to go after the drivers of the debt, the real drivers, the social programs, yeah. uh, and yeah. the military. So yeah. it's not going to yeah. change. Oh, the other thing that I find really um, incredible is that they're unwilling to tackle the Federal Reserve, as Ron Paul did in 2008 and 2012 when he was running for the Republican nomination. And he was getting support from young people because he was explain to them how they're getting, to use the technical term, screwed by the Federal Reserve. And, <laughs> that's um, the technical term? Yeah, that's the <laughs> technical term. And um, and no one is willing to say that for the simple reason that if they want Wall Street's backing, well, Wall Street loves the Fed. I mean, all the, all the, the, the uh, 
financial elites love the Fed because their asset values go through the roof when, uh, because of the Fed's monetary policies. And so um, there's, there's no criticism of the Fed. They, they'll mention it tangentially, saying printing money, but that's about it. They don't talk about the structure of the Fed and how harmful it is to the economy. Uh, instead, they just take it over. So either they don't understand it or their backers have told them, don't criticize the Fed. Say, uh, by the way, just as an aside, do you know what comes down? I mean, you got millions, then you got billions, then you got trillions. What's the one after trillions? I think it's quadrillion. Is it just quadrillions? <laughs> I think so. I think so. It's, uh, uh, I mean, th th this is what happened in, in Germany in the 1920s, where uh, the U.S. dollar bought four uh, marks, or I should say four German marks, bought one U.S. dollar in 1914. By 1923, it took 4.2 trillion marks to buy one U.S. dollar because the German central bank just went wild in printing money in the early 1920s, which gave us, uh, which gave Germany the hyperinflation, the destruction of their economy, and the eventual rise of Hitler 10 years later as Chancellor of Germany. All right, I got a lot of, uh, a couple of places that I want us to go here, and I don't, I'm almost uh, not sure which one to go for first. Uh, one of them is Tucker Carlson, uh, but I, I think instead of going after Tucker Carlson, uh, if we have time, we'll do that later. Uh, you've written in your Substack column that you think the Federal Reserve uh, might inject itself into the race, into the presidential race. Explain. Uh, well, what happened in 1972 after mixing the wage price controls in 1971 and he was running for re-election, um, his good buddy, Arthur Burns, was chairman of the Fed, who he... Uh, news uh, from his time as vice president during the Eisenhower administration in the 1950s that uh, Nixon knew that uh, in order to have a, a nice economy in 1972, the Fed's got to pump money in to give us low interest rates, so money would be flowing to the housing market and other sectors, automobiles and other sectors, uh, and drop the unemployment rate, and that's exactly what happened, and that uh, laid the foundation for the double-digit inflation of 73 and 74, and the uh, crash and, uh, and the uh, inflationary recession of, of that period. And so um, if the Fed starts lowering interest rates this year, it means that the economy is weak because every time the Fed has lowered interest rates, actually they've raised interest rates, is because the economy has been adjusting to the new reality of the financial conditions in the country. And so, um, again, the data show very clearly, I pointed this out in previous subsets, when the Fed lowers interest rates, it means the recession is underway. If the Fed's lowering interest rates, uh, that means the recession is unfolding and the Fed doesn't want to be blamed for higher unemployment, which, of course, is the result of their easy money policies in the first place. But anyway, um, the Fed is between a rock and a hard place because if they don't lower interest rates, then they're going to be accused of... Uh, hurting Biden, and if they do, um, uh, if, if they lower interest rates, they're, they're going to be accused of helping Biden, or whoever the Democratic nominee is. I don't think Biden's going to be the nominee. But, um, yeah, the Fed, the Fed is really a political institution, because it was created by the Congress. I mean, let's face it, once something is created by the, the, the Congress, and and and, um, and and is in law, then it is a, by name, by definition a political institution. Even though the Federal Reserve is privately owned, so uh, we'll, we'll see exactly what happens. But there, a lot of people are thinking the Fed's going to lower interest rates, and so I would make the point that the economy is so great under Biden 
uh, why does the Fed have to lower interest rates, let interest rates stay where they are, or just get the Fed out of the business of manipulating interest rates. That's what should happen in a free market. The Fed should not be manipulating interest rates, but instead they're doing uh, what they think is um, uh, necessary in order to uh, keep uh, uh, employment high and, and inflation on a downward tra- trajectory. We'll see. Um, my guess is uh, they're just leveled off and they're not going to go anywhere. I, I don't I don't know that they're going to lower the interest rates, to, but it's possible. Uh, I want to move on to um, this, and I talked about this with uh, Jim Babka. Uh, I'm chairman of the board at a group called Downsize DC, and he's the president of the group. Had him on the show uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, And we were talking about Tucker Carlson and his comments about dollar stores. And I really didn't understand what Carlson was saying. (laughs) Yeah, it's bizarre. It really is. Because if you're upset about dollar stores, then you've got to be upset about Walmart and Home Depot and um, other um, uh, sectors of the economy, which has, or even Amazon, because what they've done is put a lid on prices because... They buy in bulk. They're able to pass on uh, savings to consumers. And that's a benefit to low- and middle-income families that are trying to stretch their dollars in an age of inflation. So why he's uh, got this uh, uh, obsession with dollar stores is beyond me. And as Paul Monshine pointed out in his uh, Star Ledger column in New Jersey, which I linked to in uh, my Substack column, um, he loved the dollar store because he bought something he needed to fix up. Uh, a sliding glass door, um, and it saved him a couple of thousand dollars to replace it. So the dollar store is, is uh, in every neighborhood, is a benefit to the average consumer who's, who's, who's trying to have a decent standard of living despite the Fed's inflationary policies, which are raising prices. So I, I really don't understand it. it. It just shows you people have a blind spot when it comes to uh, the economy and public policy. And as I write, uh, uh, Carlson was initially a supporter of the Iraq war, then he realized what a disaster it was, and he became a critic of the military industrial congressional complex, and he should realize what we have today is a combination of free enterprise and crony capitalism, and the crony capitalism is what he should be railing against, and the Fed he should be railing against, and the income tax, and just say that the free market is the way that people get together peacefully to achieve their goals from the production end and from the consumption end. So I don't know where, where his, what his problem is because um, anything that's peaceful, we should be applauding and celebrating and calling for more of it instead of bashing uh, an entrepreneurial um, uh, project that has been a benefit to uh, millions and millions of Americans. Doesn't make sense to me. Before I let you go, you are going to be uh, teaching uh, the economics yes. of health care and wellness. That's uh, January 17th, right? Yeah, uh, IPAC, IPAK-EDU.org, and you can see the course uh, syllabus listed there. Uh, there's a fairly nominal fee to attend the course. It will be done through Zoom. In fact, I just got off up, uh, with a podcast uh, from the Mises Institute that will be posted two, day, uh, two days from now, and we discuss uh, what the course is all about and why it's important that we, the American people understand how we got to a $4 trillion medical care bill in this country with not very good outcomes relative to other nations that spend a lot less. And so um, we're going to do a deep dive into the uh, medical care field, health care, and wellness, 
and uh, provide information for people so they can make better decisions in their lives. Professor Murray Sabrin, go to his Substack column. Uh, it's murraysabrin.substack.com. Professor, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Gary, and Happy New Year, and Happy New Year to all your listeners, and hopefully your show will thrive uh, and uh, for 2024 and beyond. Uh, hopefully it will. Thank you very much. All right. Gambling in the state of Missouri. Do we not have the right to gamble on games, on anything we want? I think, I think so. What do you think? That's next. Gary Nolan Zimmer Radio Network. A constitutional amendment being offered up by a, a Republican. Very interesting. Uh, and I think it's, it's uh, something we ought to discuss. We'll get to that in just a minute. It is 23 minutes after 10 o'clock. Uh, but just to whet your appetite so you know what I'm talking about, Thomas Massey has uh, co-sponsored an amendment to the Constitution. Right now, uh, congressional districts are apportioned to states based on the number of people who live in the states. Uh, and they count citizens as well as non-citizens. So uh, states with a lot of illegal aliens, as they're calling them, uh, get an advantage in Congress and in the Electoral College. And what his uh, constitutional amendment says is, no, 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 only citizens Count only the citizens. Well, I'm not sure I agree with that. I'm not shooting it down, you know, out of hand, but there's something about that that bothers me. And I'll tell you what that is in a few minutes. But first, I want to do a quick lightning survey. I want to know if you think there is a reason why the state of Missouri won't allow sports betting and other gambling when, you know, it, 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 it really shouldn't be any of their business. At least I don't think so. Uh, the story comes out of uh, Springfield, uh, KY3. Uh, the story is that uh, the new year is a new chance to legalize sports betting in Missouri. A couple of bills have been pre-filed in Jefferson City. And a petition drive aims to let voters decide if sports betting should be legal. So, I'll keep track. I'm just curious. This is a lightning survey. It doesn't count as your call of the day. As you know, we restrict callers to one call a day. Should we allow sports betting in the state of Missouri? 800-529-5572. Or 874-9390. I don't, I don't see any reason why not. I don't see why we wouldn't let people do this. Um, you want to gamble? You, you should be allowed to gamble. Uh, I don't see where the state should be involved in it. Uh, but I will uh, do a quick survey. This is kind of like uh, going out to vote. Um, if it were on the ballot today... That uh, that uh, you would legally be able to gamble, and I'm going to just limit it to sports, but I, I, I frankly think it should go much further. Should we be legally allowed in the state of Missouri to gamble on sports, sports betting? Will Mizzou win? What's the over and under? What, you know, what, what do you think of that idea? 
Go to GaryNolan.com or give me a call, 800-529-5572 or 874-9390. Brian, do you think that uh, it should be allowed? Yes, absolutely. And the only reason it's not, in my opinion, is the state can't uh, collect the, you know, amounts that they need for their education and whatever. You know, you know would, they, yeah, they'll they'll probably come up with some way to do that. Plus, they don't want the competition for the for the uh, lottery. Yeah, yeah. If if the, if I understand politicians, they'll they'll eventually say yes. However, they have yes. to regulate it, <laughs> and a certain portion of the money that's gambled has right. to go to education. Yes, or uh, you know, sick children in. I mean, that's just. It's it's just it's the way they work. I mean, in the days uh, past, I recall going into different places. You know, maybe bars, restaurants, or you know, those type of uh, venues, and you would see little you know gambling games. Granted, they didn't pay out much, but it was fun, just as a time waster. And those things got shut down. It just seems ridiculous. You know, the little uh, things they would set on the bar? You know, the, uh, what do they call them when you pull the little lever and it would... You know what I'm talking about, right? No. The one-armed bandits, whatever oh. they call those things. Oh, slot machines. Yeah. They were just, you know, an electronic slot machine on the bar. And you'd win a token and then you could trade that for drinks or whatever. No more. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I think it should be allowed. All right, I got a couple of messages uh, from the last segment with the professor, and I will uh, I'll address them in a few minutes. But I want to do this lightning survey uh, and find out what you think about sports gambling in the state of Missouri. Should it be, if it's on the ballot, will you vote yes or no? Uh, and to that end, we'll go to the calls. Again, this doesn't count as your call of the day. Tom, good morning. Good morning, and I will vote yes for it. There's no reason we shouldn't be able to. Um, all right. Uh, I appreciate it, Tom. Thank you. Not your call of the day. Doesn't count. Roy, good morning. Hello. Yeah, you're you're in favor of it. Yeah, you're probably a yes. degenerate gambler on the side, and none no. of us know it. I'm in the stock market. Does that count? Oh, that's gambling. See? <laughs> good point. That is gambling. Sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. All right. Thank you so much. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Um, all right. I, I just wanted to find out where, where we stood here. Uh, and I got uh, two more posts from GaryNolan.com. I haven't seen a no come up at all. I think it's a good idea. I think we should allow it. I don't see any reason for the state to regulate it or to even be involved in it. All right. Uh, Here's what's up next. Uh, we're going to have the Epic Times on board with us. And uh, we are going to uh, chat with uh, one of my favorite reporters from the uh, Epic Times. Uh, Nanette Holt is going to be with us. And uh, she's going to talk about uh, 2024 and DeSantis, uh, the year of extraordinary education accomplishments in the state of Florida. So we'll chat with her in a few minutes. Brian, do I have time to grab no, a couple No, you of don't. We are out of time. Oh, well, I wanted to talk with them. They're callers. We and can you're take a couple before Nanette. 
All right. Yeah, let's do that. All right, quick break. Gary Nolan, Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. 1035, Nanette Holt is going to be with us in a few minutes. Uh, but I wanted to know, because I was reading this article uh, in uh, from a TV station in Springfield about uh, whether or not uh, you would approve sports betting in the state of Missouri if it came up on the ballot. Uh, would it be a yes or a no? Uh, Kevin is on the line. Kevin, would it be a yes or a no? It would be a yes. Can you think of a reason why we aren't allowed to? I cannot. I mean, they've got the lottery. Competition, I guess, for the uh, for the yeah. gambling dollar. All right, as Kevin, thank... Huh? Oh, I'm, as soon as the government th- figures out how much the pie they want, then they'll allow it. Yeah, they'll figure out a way to get a chunk of it. I bet they will. All right, yeah, Kevin, sure. thank you. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Just that it's very hard to do because you can, uh, you know, bookies will come up with a, a the list and uh, bring it into a bar or a social uh, meeting place and people will make their picks. It's going to be hard to for the government to get their share of this. All right, uh, it's time for us to move on because uh, my favorite reporter from the Epic Times is with us. Nanette Holt is on board. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about um, DeSantis uh, and education, school choice. Nanette, welcome. How are you? Hey, it's great to talk to you. Happy New Year. Hey, to you too. Uh, so what's going on with uh, education in Florida? What, what are the accomplishments that DeSantis is touting? Oh, well, they, you know, they've had a lot done in Florida this year. Um, we have universal school choice now. That uh, is uh, paying out to parents who say their public schools are failing them and they want to move to a private school or <clears throat> a charter school or even homeschool. They're actually receiving uh, debit cards in the mail uh, that reimburse them for maybe tuition they've already paid um, this year toward private schooling or in this school year, I should say, and then, you know, for expenses. And it, it's it's really uh, cranking up, um, you know, the the level of expectation these parents have on schools. If the public schools fail, they can just jerk their kids out of there. And the money then, the taxpayer money, follows the child. So these public schools that have been failing, uh, when they lose a student because the parents are unhappy, that money, that funding goes to wherever the kid goes. So, wait, so, wait, 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 wait. So, Nanette, what you're telling me is that if I'm a parent in Florida and I decide to homeschool my kids, that there will be some money coming my way? Yes, it's incredible. And actually, I'm a homeschool parent. So, for, you know, I'm just finishing up with my, my last of three, um, and they... You know, for years and years, we've always paid our property taxes. In Florida, they're, you know, nice and high. And, uh, you know, we've always footed the bill for our own homeschooling expenses. But now, parents in Florida who are homeschooling can, you know, let the state know, hey, we would like some of this money, and they'll receive a debit card. All right. Now, you have no way of knowing this, but I have been promoting homeschooling for probably 15 years. I... I think it is the best way because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you you spend the day, your your kids with you and everything you do can be a learning experience. How to make change when you're at the store for math, uh, 
how to make things uh, in the kitchen. Uh, it, uh, you know, all these things are all learning experiences. I think it's, Absolutely. I think yeah, it's, it's fabulous. We, we've really, you know, just lived it. And um, my middle child now is a journalist. Unbelievable. She's uh, at the University of Florida going through the, the woke journalism program and uh, <laughs> resisting uh, the push to take on all these woke, uh, all this woke ideology. But, um, you know, just uh, she has been a real uh, example to us as to, you know, why we were right to do the um, the homeschooling because she was prepared going into college to resist the woke ideology that gets crammed down the throats of these kids. I want to interview your daughter. I uh, want to love to talk to her about her experience. We have here in Columbia, my home station, uh, Columbia, Missouri, uh, one of the foremost J schools in the country with uh, Mizzou. And uh, I, 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 I just think it would be great to hear what, what they're teaching in, uh, in Florida. Well, I can give you a preview of what she'll tell you about uh, the University of Florida Journalism School, which is, again, one of the uh, you know, most highly ranked in the, the country for what, it, for what that's worth. And they are told in that J school, you do not have to have a so-called fair and balanced story. There are uh, groups of people who have been overrepresented. You need to hear from the marginalized. Don't worry about balancing your story. Um, they encourage them to use journalism as a way to promote their own personal activism. Say if they are LGBT. They encourage this? Whoa, 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 whoa. They're encouraging this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she, she's actually struggled um, to do well with fair and balanced stories because she wasn't promoting a woke ideology. Wow. No wonder this country is in trouble. I would love to talk with her. I, I really would. Uh, but we got to move on because we've got a couple of other things. Um, you say that uh, Florida education represents teachers, um, and and uh, it, and they apparently are not too happy with DeSantis. Well, you know, a lot of the teachers are not because they are pre-programmed by the union to be upset with anything a, a conservative. Uh, governor and legislature uh, crank out. But, you know, it's so funny. Um, so much of what the Santa's has done and the legislature have done here in, in Florida has been positive for teachers. I mean, uh, DeSantis has put a real uh, push on teachers knowing American civics and history so they can teach it correctly. And he set up a, a really a gold standard program for them to basically get reacquainted with the Constitution and the way American government works and why our country was founded the way it was founded. And if they simply take the course and do well in it, he gave them all $3,000 bonuses because he wanted them to teach children properly. Did, um, but they're did still he, mad. <laughs> did he not take some flack about a black studies program in Florida? Oh, yeah. Well, this is what this was about. And, of course, in the mainstream media, you didn't hear the real story. And we did write about it. If you go to theepictimes.com, you'll see what we wrote. But uh, he went in and rejected, his staff rejected some textbooks because they all, again, were promoting this woke stuff that it isn't based in reality that was, you know, pushing all the critical race theory ideas of the oppressed and the oppressor and really misrepresenting uh, history 
uh, of the United States in Florida, and he rejected the textbooks. He sent them back. He said, get the text right, and we'll use them, but we're not using them with all this stuff in it that's not accurate. Try again. So then it was all of a sudden, it, that was it became an assault on you know, African-American or black, however you prefer to refer to that you know, group of people. Um, it became very offensive, but... You know, honestly, some of what was written in those books was offensive. I mean, it just, they should have been offended by those books. But, you know, people are still aligned to either the D or the R. They can't make sense of what, you know, really matters. They, they just want to know, are you a D or an R? If, you're, if, if you happen to be a D and you hear something from an R, you're going to hate it. If you, if you happen to be an R and you hear something from a D, you're going to hate it. It's, it's just ridiculous. Common yep. sense out the window. <laughs> well, you see, I'm a I'm an equal opportunity annoyer uh, as a libertarian. Um, I find both parties uh, offensive uh, in many ways. And so this is why we love you because uh, you can make a decision <laughs> based on the issue. How smart is that? Oh, we can't have that happening too much. Oh no, nay, nay, Perlene. <laughs> All right, Nanette, um, do, do you have a column on this at, at Epic Times? Well, uh, I manage the team that covers this. So, yes, we have some stories about all these things. The uh, reporter on the education issues and, and why Florida is one that other states are following. Um, the reporter is Jackson Elliott. You can uh, Google his name, Jackson Elliott, and the Epic Times. It'll take you right to his author page, and you'll see that wonderful story on what, uh, you know, how Florida is getting it right. Sounds, sounds good to me. Uh, the Epic Times, my favorite diurnal. Nanette Holt, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Happy New Year. You too. Take care. Nanette Holt, uh, the Epic Times. All right, up against the clock, we have to take a quick break, but we're going to come back. Uh, tariffs? Wall Street Journal's got a great piece on this. And uh, the black community and crime. All coming up. On the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It's uh, 10 minutes to 11, and uh, we had a great story at Reason Magazine. Uh, I'll, I'll share it in the next hour in greater detail, but you know how I, uh, I always lament public transportation. Uh, from Amtrak to the city bus, uh, it's just, if it's run by the government, it, it, never, it never works. Well, apparently down in Florida, they've got a high-speed train that is um, totally privately owned and run. And there is apparently an Amtrak train that uh, runs about the same route. Uh, if you take the Amtrak train, it's about six and a half hours. If you take this privately owned train, well, it takes about three hours, about half the time. But I'll give you some of the details in this because it is just the it is exactly what happens in the free market, and it's a thing of beauty. Uh, we're going to talk about tariffs. Uh, I told you before, tariffs were a bad idea. The statistics are all now known, and we're going to talk about an amendment to the Constitution. They do, uh, you know, the federal government does a survey. Find out how many people live in a state, and that's how they apportion the number of members of the House of Representatives. But they count everybody. And there is an amendment being proposed to the Constitution by Thomas Massey. He's 
co-sponsoring this. And what it says essentially is the census should specifically count U.S. citizens for apportionment of representatives. His concern is that if you have all these people streaming across the border uh, into Texas or California or wherever, uh, you uh, you count those uh, quote-unquote illegal immigrants and you end up with representatives of people who are not citizens of the country. You artificially inflate the number of representatives in your state. That's essentially his argument. I kind of disagree with it. Um, but, but we'll get into that. Uh, we'll do that uh, in the next hour. I do want to cover the, the tariff thing. And I remember when, uh, when I talked about this, uh, when Donald Trump was in the White House, it's a bad idea. We should not have tariffs on imported goods. And a lot of people disagreed with me. <clears throat> but now that we've got all the numbers in, we see what's happened. And it is exactly what I said would happen. Uh, we, we poured all these uh, tariffs on steel. So employment in iron and steel mills and uh, ferro-alloy uh, manufacturing, uh, if you compare uh, with uh, Mr. Trump, uh, what he announced is uh, metal tariffs uh, in March of 2018, uh, they're up 800 people. They got all these tariffs on imported steel. They got 800 new people working there, about 1%. But in the same period, employment in steel product manufacturing, products made from steel, fell by 1,600 workers, or 2.8%. In other words, if you're making a washing machine or an automobile and you have to pay more for the steel because of the tariffs, yeah, the, the, the steel manufacturers will do marginally better. But you have to raise your prices and that means you sell fewer cars or washing machines, and you need less labor. Tariffs do this in real life. Um, they, they will, we do this with sugar. We've got tariffs on sugar. If you import sugar into the United States, there's a tariff on it. The uh, sugarcane growers here in the United States got Congress to pass this. Most people aren't aware of this. So, yeah, this saved the sugarcane business in the United States. But it's, you know, killing bakery workers and, and, and when I, or confectioners. What's happening is a lot of the uh, manufacturers of confections, the candies and things like that, are moving to Canada. They're going to Canada because they can buy the sugar for less. They can produce the product for less. Tariffs are a terrible idea. Wall Street Journal, uh, talking about the steel tariffs, they said this reveals what tariffs do. It robs some anonymous Peter to pay some politically powerful Paul. In their earnings calls, after nearly a year of Mr. Trump's metal tariffs, Steelmakers 
bragged about record profits, while Whirlpool and Caterpillar and others lamented the new costs. Ford pegged its annual hit at $750 million. And the profit-sharing checks that uh, uh, that went to its factory workers uh, would be 10% higher, they said, were it not for the tariffs. Tariffs are a bad idea. Trade imbalance is nonsense. Trade imbalance here is a cash imbalance on the other side. And it it, it's, it's just, it's not a good idea. And as I pointed out when this was happening, we didn't have a trade imbalance. One, uh, one uh, there, historically, there was one period where we didn't. It was the Depression. And it was brought about by, among other things, tariffs. Smoot Holly. Just wanted to, uh, just, I don't want anybody to be fooled. It sounds good. And it is good for the few people in the trade that are being protected from competition. But we all know competition drives down prices, improves quality, and we shouldn't be limiting that. And and by the way, there's an interesting story, I should probably get into this, uh, about letting uh, international airlines fly Uh, routes in the United States. It would introduce more competition. But that's an aside. Anyway, all right, uh, the criminal justice system is not racist. Jason Riley uh, wrote this piece. It's a great piece. Another academic paper finds scant support for the theory that bias causes incarceration disparities. According to this academic paper by two Stetson University sociologists, after analyzing 51 studies on sentencing disparities that were published between 2005 and 2022, they conclude that overrepresentation among um, perpetrators of crime explains incarceration disparities to a greater degree than does racism in the criminal justice system. In other words, Blacks are incarcerated at higher rates than other groups because they commit crimes at higher rates. It's not due to systemic bias. We're seeing policing around the country, and I know we're seeing some, uh, some of the effects of these kinds of arguments uh, in, in Colombia. We're seeing this policing changing... Because they're afraid of the statistics. And instead of pointing out what's really a problem, we're saying, well, just don't arrest anybody. That'll fix it. It's crazy. Gary Nolan, Zimmer Radio Network. This is The Gary Nolan Show. 